Hi, my name's Alex Kelly, co-founder of Bright Flag, and this is In-House Outliers, a podcast where I interview those who've taken unconventional paths and challenged conventional notions of how in-house legal should operate. I'm delighted to be joined today on the podcast by Elizabeth Miller. Elizabeth is Head of Legal Operations at Marquetta and needs no introduction in the world of legal ops as one of the true pioneers in the space with over 20 years progressive experience in FP&A, business management and process improvement. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Let's start at the beginning, Elizabeth. Where did you grow up? I grew up mostly in central New York, the state attached to the city. Most people don't know a lot about that part of the, the state. And then I spent a couple of years in the South as well. So I was in the Northeast, spent a year or two in Louisiana and Alabama, and then back to New York again. And why did you decide to study at Rutgers? I had so many interests at the time, and I wasn't sure which direction I wanted to go. I knew I wanted to be within a certain radius of home. I have a big family and I didn't want to be too far away, but I was kind of everywhere between business, physical therapy, nutritional science, health education. It was kind of a broad spectrum. And that was the one school that had all of the avenues that I might want to pursue. I'm jealous of that kind of open landscape of different things you were considering. I kind of jumped straight into law after high school and really didn't have enough context, I think, to make that decision at that point in time. As you started to go through your college years at Rutgers, did you start to kind of crystallize on something, a kind of a direction of travel in terms of what you wanted to do in life? (laughs) Maybe this speaks to how I got to where I am. I am all about efficiency. (laughs) I think a counselor told me, if you want to go to school for business or physical therapy, you'll be here at least five years. If you study economics, you'll be out in three and a half. (laughs) Done. (laughs) So I graduated early from college. That's what helped me choose my major. I had also been kind of like minoring or taking a certificate program in nutritional science and some of the lab work courses in case I wanted to change direction. But yeah, I think one of the programs I was was working on for a certificate ended, so that closed that one. They didn't have the right like health education program I was looking into. So it really kind of narrowed the scope for me just hearing the duration I would be there. I think you might be the third guest on the podcast who has said something almost <laughs> identical about what was the quickest path through and out of college. Uh, Mark Eldridge, certainly from Garden Health, was made the exact same point to me about the decisions he made that got him out pretty quickly and finishing as quick as he could. What was your first job then after college? So I had planned on taking, you know, a month or two off and traveling around Europe. And instead, I went to a job fair and was recruited for a job before I even graduated early. So I worked at Macy's in Herald Square in Manhattan. They have a really awesome finance rotation program there where they'll bring in like 10 people the same year and spend a couple months really training you, exposing you to all the different departments within finance and to senior leadership, and then kind of letting you choose where do you want to go and letting those department heads choose who did they like. So it was a really awesome place to start. I really loved the program, had like a really good group of friends, but also it, it was awesome for letting you learn a lot about how the business operates. I think most 
people like right out of college don't get that insight and that time with the senior leadership team of a major company. So that was really helpful. And those kind of early experiences are so formative in terms of, as you said, the kind of business understanding, understanding the way of working. And what would you say when you look back now, were your kind of key learnings and takeaways from that kind of program at Macy's? You know, I think because we came in as a group, one key thing was, you know, working together as a team which I don't think ever goes out of style. <laughs> I, think, uh, it's, I wish more people had that skill or experience to leverage. And some of the things that I've learned that have been most helpful, particularly with someone with a finance background, was just sitting with people who were maybe a year or two older than me and just working side by side and them showing me, like just seeing the details of how they work. You know, I remember sitting with my friend and how he worked in Excel. I just learned so much. And I've used that in my career path when I've tried to train junior employees. Like, I know that you can't take a class in Excel. (laughs) I know that you need to sit next to somebody and just watch them work. So I think that's the thing that stuck most with me. And then also something really relevant in legal operations is leveraging your network. You know, so having this group of people We all have like kind of mild training on each other's areas, but then when you need something specific or need to understand something, knowing who the person is who knows more than you. Such great advice there, Elizabeth, and something you touched on is a real challenge at the moment, that early stage in your career, learning through osmosis by sitting physically beside somebody, observing how they work and what they're doing is more challenging when people are working in a remote role or in hybrid in a hybrid role. And something I think even here at Bright Flag we're grappling with is that balance in terms of facilitating that development and that learning for people where, as you say, it's not necessarily about completing a course in Excel. It's just observing how somebody does something and working alongside them. Moving on then, how did you find your way into a financial analyst role at at Sherman and Sterling? Let's see. (laughs) When I I was in uh, New York City for a few years, I was there for 9-11 and the brownout and the blackouts and all that fun period of time. Moved to publishing, went to VNU Business Media, which is now Nielsen, and then to Sherman and Sterling. And it wasn't that I was looking to get into law. It was more that I just I needed a break from my current job and wanted to try something different. Sherman Sterling, like, I I guess that's kind of the role that probably like is the tiny thing that led to where I am now. And I wouldn't say it's in any way my most significant role. I think it taught me where I do and don't want to work and what I do and don't want to do as a profession. But I think just having that little bit of experience is the thing that somebody else saw in my background and was like, oh, she has legal experience. Can I bring her in as my legal finance manager later down the road? So there wasn't anything specific that drew me to Sherman and Sterling. It's just kind of a place that I I ended up, you know, that's where the job was at the time. The work was interesting. It was really interesting to see the analytics side from the inside of a law firm and the things that they're focused on. But I think ultimately it was very clear very quickly that that's not where I wanted to be. Something I've observed, Elizabeth, is that the kind of first generation of legal operations leaders and pioneers like yourself, a number of them started life within business roles in law firms because 
legal operations hadn't emerged as a discipline in the way that it exists today. And presumably it was an incredible grounding in understanding the operations of a law firm, the finances of a law firm, pricing, the law firm perspective on outside council management. Are there certain things that have kind of particularly stuck with you that have been valuable, not just in kind of facilitating kind of being seen as a suitable candidate for a role in legal ops, but just in terms of your overall understanding about the kind of the law firm perspective? I think there are, you know, any experience is, is useful experience. And it's definitely helpful to have some kind of understanding of what's important from the law firm's perspective, particularly when you're, you know, your next couple roles, you're responsible for negotiating all of your outside counsel fee arrangements. Um, it is helpful to have a little bit of that perspective. Yeah, I think for me, like, I'm just an operations person at heart. When I started working in legal operations, I didn't know what it was. I knew that there was a missing role there and that we needed somebody to hold all the pieces together and let us operate cohesively as a department. I didn't know it had a name. I'd never heard of it. It wasn't wasn't a job around where I worked. So I don't know. I think more what impacts me is just having a, the the mentality of why does this work this way? How can we do it better? How can we do it faster? Why would we do something another way if there's a better way? Why do we do this step if we never go back and look at it? <laughs> does anyone ever pull that report out of the drawer and, and read it? Why are we doing it? I think just that mentality is, is so much more impactful for me than like the experience of working at a law firm and having that insight. I think it was kind of a fluke that I worked at a law firm and then got pulled back into legal. And I think the most consistent theme in, on the podcast has been there is no kind of linear path into legal operations. What then attracted you to Boston Scientific? So Boston Scientific, it was, I, I worked in the finance department for years. I was the SGNA admin or analyst. So I supported all of the corporate cost centers, including the legal department. And then I also rolled up all of the budgets and forecasts and spend for the global departments. And then I would report that to our leadership team. So when our legal controller was out on maternity leave, I needed to really understand the inner workings of what are all of these. I don't think I'm answering your question at all, but. <laughs> no, no, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what pulled me in. So, I, I mean, I guess to answer your question, first of all, the what pulled me in was I was doing a lot of that work at prior companies. So I had good experience. I had a really solid resume for that role, which was working directly with the executive team, reporting, budgeting, you know, forecasting, working on the strategic plan, and basically consolidating all of the company spend into a succinct way to tell the top leaders of the company. So I think that's the thing that pulled me in there is I had a really solid background for that. And then once I was there, you know, I feel like you really need to be prepared for those meetings. If you're going to be sitting with the CEO and the COO and the CFO and you're like, you know, 25, you probably need to know what you're talking about. We had one meeting where my vice president of finance had asked a question. Someone said, what is this? Like just some random, like some doctor's name litigation. And I said, oh, that's this, you know, patent infringement case where this doctor did this. Da, 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 da. And they all just kind of looked at me and I saw her jaw drop. And I said, 
were you surprised I knew that? And she said, I really am. <laughs> Cause we had hundreds of lawsuits and I just, you know, I was well-versed enough in all of them to talk at that level. And, and I think people were kind of like, Oh, <laughs> I think that might've helped pull me in as well. And that's fascinating. And obviously it sounds like the role was incredibly well suited to your skill set, and and you just kind of hit the ground running and embraced it. Was there a kind of a tipping point when it went from you kind of functionally understood how to be a finance manager working with the legal department to owning legal operations and the role kind of broadening beyond the kind of financial management of the legal department? Yeah, definitely. The way I got pulled into to legal is that legal controller needed a legal finance manager and pulled me in. Her job was eliminated shortly thereafter, hopefully unrelated. <laughs> I really loved her. <laughs> and once I started picking up some of her responsibilities and just having a little more visibility into how the department operated, I went to my boss, who was then my GC, and so there's a lot of things that we're negotiating against ourselves. We have different practice areas negotiating with the same law firm separately, not leveraging volume or, you know, anything. We have different functions within the company and even within the department sometimes implementing technology that we already have a very similar tool either in our department or in a different department. We have nobody just overseeing the landscape of technology and really being tapped in with our IT department. And there were a couple of things like that. And he told me, write a job description. So I did. And it was very easy for me to fill out an entire role. And I thought, what on earth do you call this thing? And I Googled it. <laughs> and that was the first time I saw the term legal operations and thought, yeah, that makes sense. Slap that on there. And he hired me into that role. And it was really easy for me because I had already been the finance manager for you know, legal, compliance, government affairs, regulatory, all under my GC. And he had already empowered me so much just with the budget. I had already done a lot of cleaning up our e-billing data. We had implemented an e-billing tool right before I joined. But having a finance person manage your data is like a huge win. So like, like a lot of tools, you know, we set it up like we did an A++ job. We put in every field we might ever possibly need. So when I came in, it was really looking at how do we map the data? How do we want to see reporting? We haven't really had an output of, of dashboards or reports or anything that we can use yet as the company because the, the system, the data was still being built up in a way that we didn't know how to leverage it. So I did a huge cleanup effort implemented reporting. And it was really the first visibility for the company into like that detailed level of legal spend, which was huge. And I think, you know, I heard someone on one of your other podcasts mention something about e-billing being their biggest thing. And for me, that was the first thing I did before I was in legal operations. So I think I was doing legal operations before it had a name. It was just called legal finance <laughs> and I worked closely with legal procurement, which was also legal operations. So when I moved into an actual title of head of legal operations, I already had been doing that work. I already had the trust of my department. I already managed the budget. I already managed the legal fee negotiations. So I'd already been doing that work for a couple of years and it was just a very smooth transition 
into, okay, what else does this entail now? What else, like how else does this scope broaden? There's so much there, Elizabeth. And the first thing is that it's remarkable that you identified the need for this broader legal operations role in, in a kind of a vacuum and that it wasn't something you were aware of existing, but because of your business acumen, your finance skills, the work you had done in building out the kind of financial management program for the legal team, you could see the need for a broader program. And and I think what you touched on there, the kind of visibility that you get once you have the data to start understanding other areas for improvement, that presumably gave you the bandwidth with legal leaders, with business leaders to kind of drive other projects. Were there other projects over that time at Boston Scientific outside of kind of e-billing that were particularly impactful? We had so many. Yeah. A lot of my role there was leverage my finance skills. We had constant, you know, PMO initiatives and cost reduction initiatives, freezing rates, needing to cut 10% year over year. So a lot of just leveraging, how can we be smarter with our dollars? How do we budget more precisely? How do we get more predictable? We had converted to like over 90% fixed fees. I had implemented and it sounds so stupid, but getting attorneys engaged on things like budget or efficiency takes a little bit of finesse. Um, I had implemented some kind of program that like recognized people who would suggest efficiency or cost savings initiatives. And then there would be some kind of award for who had the best ones. And we would track it and put up like, you know, a dashboard in the kitchen, a lot of things like that, that just tried to get the department engaged on what are we trying to do? And like, you know, people get caught up in their role. They're not interested in how can somebody do something faster? If I do this one thing differently, what does it save the next person's work? Or how can I do this a little more cost-effectively? Not everyone thinks about that. So just really exposing it and then recognizing the people that are doing it, it really helps with engagement. We also, our attorneys have been trying for years to get a document management tool. And we were kind of told this is the one that you're using and it wasn't working so one of my attorneys came to me and was like, I need, I need your help. I need you to like sell this to IT. <laughs> so I had a, a lengthy business case <laughs> where I would follow the CIO around, <laughs> casually mention some of the things that we were going to, to save in the ROI if we brought in a different tool. Yeah. So there are some different things here and there. And another benefit of being in the office, being able to doorstop the CIO right. to, to sell your, your initiative, which is an important <laughs> part of legal ops as well. That's really interesting. And something you touched on was the fact that you were reporting directly to the GC. And something that comes up a lot with experienced legal ops leaders is that relationship with legal leadership and specifically with the GC did you have that just kind of implicit buy-in for cost champion awards or other initiatives to drive the improvements that you, you saw were needed? Yeah, I mean, he was a fantastic leader. You know, we had worked together a little bit in that he was on the leadership team when I was, you know, this junior person going and presenting the company's spend in our five-year forecast. So we had that relationship. And then when he brought me in, I think he already had a good understanding of my aptitude and finance skills. I think one thing that, that made me really successful in that role 
was reporting directly to him, partially because he empowered me to do the things that needed to get done, partially because he was just an awesome manager. And, you know, I think the the other thing about reporting directly to the GC is it's easier for your peers to get on board when you have the same boss and your boss is trying to support legal operations and, you know, particularly in something that was a brand new role, a brand new industry at that time. No one else had ever worked anywhere with legal operations. Nobody had ever heard of it. It really wasn't much of a role. Many companies on the East Coast at that time, a little more so in the Bay Area, but I struggled to find peers. So having the same boss as all of your peers and your boss saying, who's not getting on board, who's not doing this, it gives you a lot of leverage in getting things done quicker. Lawyers aren't always the first to jump on board with change. (laughs) So having a leader who was really interested in moving things forward, empowering me, and you know, I, I would never tattle on people. I would instead go to people and say, here, like, I want you to look at this report before I send it to our boss, because I don't want to show him this. Like, I need to understand what's happening. You know, why are you writing back up all the write downs on our, our bills? Or like, you know, by the way, he notices if you don't show up to events, things like that. Like it was more like keeping that peer relationship healthy because you don't want to sell them out to your mutual boss. Um, People don't care about that necessarily when you're two, three levels down in the organization from the GC, the GC might not be as aware of what you're working on or might not be as invested in it or else they'd probably have you reporting directly to them. You have to equally build a relationship of trust with the head of M&A or head of IP litigation and them understand that you're all working towards the same goals in why you're pushing them on their approach to budgeting or whatever the specific issue might be. It does seem to be one of the kind of most fundamental things that will drive the success of a legal ops strategy and program is that buy-in from the GC, that direct reporting line. And you touched on the fact there that this was all happening pre-clock, pre legal ops being as well understood as it is now and and the community not really existing and obviously that kind of east coast west coast <laughs> dynamic and i know you've you're you're now on the west coast but uh i was i know certainly ann trotter maybe was in a role on the east coast at that time there was a, maybe a few people in in some of the large large banks but when did you start to kind of build a community or start to kind of connect with other people in the role this kind of benchmark what they were doing? Because I imagine it could have been a little bit lonely in in trying to figure out the best way forward at that stage. Yeah. And I I think it's less lonely because I had worked at my company for so long and, you know, it wasn't wasn't being thrown into a totally new place. The ACC used to have these roundtable discussions every now and then, and I would join those, go to New York City for the day, and there'd be maybe 12 people and you would talk about something interesting that you were doing. In my immediate area, I found one other person in a legal operations role, and we reached out to everybody looking for more of us. So the two of us would meet up, and it was actually through my e-billing provider that I found her. And then before long, she actually went to go work for a legal tech company. (laughs) So I lost her. I ran into um, Connie Brenton at a conference that I went to. I don't even remember what the conference was for. It was in Burlingame, California. So Bay area. And Connie said, you know, like we've got this group, you need to join. It's called clock. 
and they had all these strict rules. You have to be a certain size company, report directly to the GC. And I told my boss and he said, yeah, that sounds great. Except I don't know that you need to go to California six times a year, <laughs> which was the last requirement. So I would call in from the phone and then, you know, as chance had it, I ended up moving to the Bay area years later. And it, at that time, that was still like 30 people in clock. And it was awesome because we were all the same level, the same boss, the same job, the same scope, and we could talk about anything. And it was really just this like magic closed door session where we could really leverage each other. And I think that's kind of the thing that went away when clock expanded. And I think it's awesome that, you know, they brought in the whole industry and made it bigger. And it's, it's a really powerful thing to like, we need to bring everybody in if we're going to push this industry forward. But it, it really, that point took away any kind of peer networking I had at my level without one-on-one meeting up with people. We might, we might return to that, Elizabeth, the kind of evolution of the legal ops community and the different kind of segments within it for people with varying levels of experience, because I know you've been instrumental in doing incredible work in that space. Rewinding back to that point in time, your incredibly successful decade under your belt at Boston Scientific, what attracted you to jumping to Dalby, moving to the West Coast at that point in your life? Uh, So that was my husband decided when I was eight months pregnant, that was a great time for him to start looking at jobs on the West Coast. (laughs) So we moved here for his job. He had a friend at Google who had been trying to recruit him for years. So we moved here with a newborn and not knowing many other people. (laughs) I had been working uh, remotely still at Boston Scientific while I was here. But my, my GC thought it was really important for me to be, to just be in the office and people to see me and to have a constant reminder of what we're working towards. So I knew that wasn't going to last for long. I was working on a consulting project with a friend of mine here and, you know, just, this is, I think my last couple jobs are because of my legal ops network. My partner knew that I I didn't have any interest in consulting and that I wanted to be in-house. And he would say to me, oh, there's, I know somebody who's leaving their job. You went from a place like this to a place like this, but they haven't told anybody yet. And I was at an event and Brian Hopp walked up to me and said, oh, I have a job for you. It's my job. (laughs) So um, it really is like at this level, like we're just handing each other our jobs (laughs) because like, you know, enough people, you know, people's strengths. I didn't know that Dolby even had an opening. So that was kind of, you know, the first I had heard of it. And even my own partner saying, I know that you don't want to do this. And I was like, I can't leave you on this project by yourself. And he was like, don't worry. Steph Corey wants to leave her job and, and join us. <laughs> so <laughs> she backfilled me on my one consulting gig that I had so that I could go work at Dolby. And that was her first consulting role. So it's just such and now, you know, Brian works with her there. So it's just a funny, like small world in legal operations. And the, the networks, you know, are so important because we all started this from nothing. You know, those of us who were the pioneers in this area, we didn't know what it was. It wasn't much of a role. It wasn't an industry yet. 
But like those of us who have been here a while and stuck around, we still leverage each other regularly. It's amazing, Elizabeth, that what has happened in the kind of intervening, I don't know, eight, 10 years in the legal ops space because of the work of people like yourself. And so many of the names you mentioned there have been instrumental in Bright Flag's development over, over the last eight or nine years. I think Mary O'Carroll was the first legal ops leader we were introduced to by a former law firm friend of mine who was working with her at Google. She introduced me to Connie. They both convinced us to come and sponsor the first clock conference in San Francisco where we met Steph. And I was only talking to Steph. I was at a baseball game with her in San Francisco a few weeks ago and we were only talking about that point in her life where she made the leap and set up her consulting business. And and the community's grown so much, but as you said, it's just so tight knit and 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 certainly that kind of first generation of pioneers, it's it's amazing the the kind of opportunities that started to emerge as as more and more companies identified the need for the role and more kind of forward-thinking general counsel getting behind it. I'm curious to understand then when when you took on Brian's role at, at Dalby, building out legal operations the second time round, did your approach kind of differ anyway from how you'd done things at Boston Scientific? Yeah, I had no support system. (laughs) It needed a whole different approach. I was just thrown to the wolves. And and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just stepping into Brian's role. You know, Brian was was part of a team and he's just the most likable person in the universe. So you can't step into his shoes anywhere. My role was really to have a legal operations function that, that scanned the scope of the department. So... I think Brian had spent some time convincing the GC, this role needs to be bigger. It needs to report to you. It needs to be this and this and this, and then left. (laughs) So when I came in, it was, okay, I'm convinced, but like, you know, not totally sold on what this role is and what it isn't. So it was a lot of having to operate at a much slower pace than I was used to because you, I really had to bring every person on board, including my boss. And the approach was very different because I was not empowered. It was more don't step on anybody's toes. You know, it was a really different outlook than what I was used to, which was just like, we have to get from here to here. And like, we need you to get us there. Dolby, the uh, legal department is a profit center. Their focus isn't on spend, it's on revenue. So it's a totally different focus. And like nobody wants to hear about cost savings. That's not the priority. So my priority there, it really shifted from budget management to how do we modernize our technology and let our department operate more effectively? So I spent a lot of time at Dolby working on technology, but and also on change management because you know, there was still a lot of skepticism about what is my role? Why am I trying to get involved in in people's teams? There was a lot of work on that. It was (laughs) very different from leaving a place you've been for 10 years. It sounds like a combination of having to win hearts and minds and maybe, as you said, move at a, a different pace to what you're used to, but also presumably leaning back on your kind of business skills where you quickly identified there is a different set of kind of priorities and strategic objectives for the legal department. It is about enabling the business and business growth. It's less about the focus on costs. And looking back now with the benefit of hindsight, Elizabeth, are there a specific project or projects that you're proudest of from your time there? 
I think the thing that I'm proudest of at Dolby is pulling together a centralized team. Most of my team was already embedded in different practice areas within the department. And they were in roles where, you know, they were like the operations person in a group of non-operations people, which is really hard to evaluate people fairly, I think, or recognize the work that they're doing. And all of my peers reporting to my boss are always the most senior lawyers in the department. That's, (laughs) I get it. And I see why it's valuable to make sure that like everybody has kind of a nurturing environment. I think that was the most important thing that I did. I miss my team so much, but I think like just taking them from where they were to where we became like make me tear up thinking about it. <laughs> oh, well, I hope I'm not going to push you much further to tears by kind of drilling in on that a little bit, because I'm always fascinated to understand how a leader like yourself brings together a team. What were the different skill sets of those people that had been maybe sitting within different kind of functional areas of the legal department? And how did you kind of bring them together and then develop them so that you kind of operated as one of the leading legal ops teams globally? You know, I came in and had to figure out what does everyone do here? What are the roles? What are the functions? What are the things that probably make sense to be part of a centralized operations team? And then having to convince that to a leadership team who's never, who might not be sold that like those functions belong in a centralized legal operations team. So again, that's, you know, building your business case, how building your ROI, how can these people be more impactful if we're combined versus separated? (laughs) And it's tough because you're literally taking people away from a practice area that might not want to lose them. But the skill sets were things like data analytics. You know, one was was managing e-billing, had really awesome just customer service skills, working with law firms, working with individuals on training, really just, it's kind of all over the place. Everybody had really different skills, but we were the group that were ultimately responsible for managing all the technology in the department managing our department events, communications, employee engagement, being the liaison with IT, HR, finance, all of the different functional areas in the department. So it was, you know, it kind of started with technology, who's managing the technology in the department, and then broadened a little bit from there. And I don't know that there's any right or wrong answer to this question, Elizabeth, but do you have a, a strong kind of philosophical view as to whether you should just develop somebody who is the subject matter expert in, in CLM or e-billing or e-discovery and own that kind of process and that system implementation, adoption, usage, data analysis out of it end to end? Or do you think it's better to focus on having people who are experts in training and change management, experts in kind of analyzing data coming out of these systems? Is there a right or wrong answer to that question from your perspective? I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer. I think it really depends on what are the skill sets you're working with and like how far can you push them? So for my team, I'm always telling them be a generalist, you know, yes, do contract systems for a while, but don't stay there. Also learn something else, shadow e-billing, shadow this other thing so that when you change roles, you really understand more than just this one thing. 
And then you can just be a legal ops generalist, which I think is what most people are looking for in a more junior role Mm -hmm. and even in a more senior role. So I think it's important to learn all of them. E-billing was, I mean, that's the first thing that I really tackled as a finance person. And I think that is so impactful just because it is the source of your data, not just for your department, but for your company, for, you know, your GC to be able to explain to your CFO what's happening, where are we going, why did we get here? That's your data. You can't get that from SAP or Oracle, like the the granularity doesn't exist there. And that's really powerful. And that is what your leadership team is going to be most focused on. So I think that's a good place to start, but also, you know, companies like Dolby, like contracting is hugely important. That was our business. So it's really important to understand that area. (laughs) You know, another, we also had an IP protection team. So we spent a lot of our time and resources on building out that functionality, looking at how do we track People who are stealing our logos, stealing our technology, underpaying on royalties, that was a revenue source for us too. So I I think, you know, other than just like having your one focus area, it's really helpful to to understand the business and how the business operates by learning more than one area. That's such great advice. And something we were talking on off air was about the role of the community now and groups like legal operators and the recent in-person event summit by the sea that you were one of the organizers of you're heavily involved in the community you've seen its birth its evolution what role does legal operators and a specific event like summit by the sea play from your perspective because for me it was being there in person was hugely rewarding in terms of the conversations that were happening amongst an incredibly experienced group of legal ops leaders in real depth and coming from a a place of of sophistication and maturity both in their careers in terms of what their departments were doing as well as being a lot of fun and a great opportunity to kind of build your network from your perspective why do you give so much time back to things like summit by the sea and, and legal operators yeah i mean i think that is the that's the piece that's been missing since clock blew up into, you know, everybody is welcome from this initial group of it's a very small group with very strict rules is we don't have a form anymore to just talk to peers at this level. And it's awesome how much legal operations has grown. People are coming from all different avenues, which is fantastic. It's hard to identify which heads of legal operations have the same scope as me because the roles are very different now. I had uh, my former recruiter ask me to speak to their team recently about like, just tell us what's going on. (laughs) Cause I think there's a lot of confusion and particularly for people hiring in these roles, like there's such a spectrum of like, even with the same title heads of legal ops. So how do you decipher who's doing what? It's not that easy other than knowing people and asking them questions. And, you know, I'll call my friends and meet up for lunch or for coffee or if I have questions, but we don't have that form anymore where it's people at this level being able to just talk to people at this level. And that was kind of the impetus behind the Legal Operators Summit by the Sea is let's just take leaders who have the same scope, bring them to an awesome location and not talk at them, 
let them talk to each other. Most of us know who to talk to about different things, but just give us an opportunity to talk to each other. Maybe give us a topic. So that was really the thought behind it. I, I'm really happy with the outcome. I think that was the most valuable conference I've been to in as long as I can remember. I'm of course, 100% biased, <laughs> but I thought the participants were great. The speakers were fantastic. The engagement was off the charts and the location was awesome. So it was just, you know, like you said, it was a lot of fun and it was like the right people having the right conversations. And that was something I've really been missing for a number of years. I found myself, Elizabeth, coming back to the Bright Flag team with a multitude of insights, observations, learnings from all those sessions, from the conversations, as you said, that were happening. It was an incredible experience. I don't think you're biased in that assessment. It was an incredibly <laughs> impactful event and uh, and testament to a huge amount of hard work from yourself and Colin and the, and the whole team behind it. And I think, as you said, there is a place for, there's a, a need for clock there there is a place for legal operators and those communities for more experienced legal ops leaders like like legal operators like link it's great to see that happening in the community and, and those places that you can share candidly share your experiences i'm mindful that you've given us so much time i suspect we could spend another few hours going deep here on, on a variety of topics i'm curious you're now building legal operations for the third time round at Marquetta in a world where, as we've discussed, legal operations is, is much more well understood. What still gets you excited about your work and what you're doing at Marquetta? So Dolby was the smallest company I've ever worked for by 10 times. Marquetta is even smaller. So Marquetta is the first place I've worked, which is really still has that kind of startup mentality. We're scaling very quickly. And I think the thing that attracted me to legal operations from finance was finance, you're reporting what other people are doing. Legal operations, you're doing it. <laughs> so, and like, usually you have the leeway to decide what am I going to work on? What's the most impactful thing? At Marketo, there's just so much opportunity because the company is so young and growing so quickly. So like, I love to, to make an impact. I'm very results oriented. Um, that, I mean, those things keep me excited that there's more to do than I can possibly do. And it's just trying to figure out where do you focus and then where do you have to say no or, or later? And probably it's always going to be later. <laughs> but I think that's the thing. One thing that's very interesting to me about Marquetta is that a lot of law departments, there's a big resistance to change. In Marquetta, everyone wants change and they want it now and they all want to be involved. <laughs> So it's just a very different vibe from any place I've ever worked where everyone wants change. Everyone's on board. Everyone wants to push this thing forward. And it's just like just really brilliant people who are really excited about this industry. Even the industry is, you know, I didn't think I would ever have any interest in like the credit card payment industry. I can't think of things that sound less exciting, but it's, you know, because I want to push a button to pay a bill and that's what Marquetta is. <laughs> It's, um, you know, it, it's modern money movement. I don't want to have to think about credit cards or cash or, you know, that's this whole other industry. So that's exciting. But the thing that brought me to Marquetta was my boss. And again, through my peers, you know, one of my peers who's, who's also on 
the advisory board for legal operators just was telling me this, like, you'll love this GC. You guys would get along great. And I was like, yeah, I'm never leave my team. <laughs> so after a lot of pushing, I finally had a conversation with him and was like, oh, he's right. <laughs> I need to work with this guy. <laughs> well, it, it, it sounds like the kind of ideal role for somebody with your skill set and kind of adaptability and uh, understanding of, of what great looks like. And, and presumably it's amazing to kind of get in at that really early stage where you've not only got the buy-in from the GC and the whole legal team, there's probably more of a greenfield and being able to do things right as, as the department scales, which can set the business up for success. So that it sounds like the ideal fit. Final question for me, Elizabeth, unrelated to the world of, of legal operations, what do you enjoy doing in your spare time? Uh-huh. Oh, what is there time for? I <laughs> I have two little boys. So let's see. Last night I was setting up a Mario Kart race track. <laughs> but I think that's about all I have time for <laughs> nowadays is just um, spending time with my family and being amused by my children. Like myself, yeah, my my evening last night was carving pumpkins and trying to ensure that our three-year-old and two-year-old girls didn't kill themselves with, with the knife. <laughs> so I'm sure I'm sure that takes up a huge amount of your time. But uh, Elizabeth, thank you so, so much for joining us. I've, as ever, learned, learned so much from talking to you. It's an absolute pleasure and really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Always fun talking to you, Alex. I'm Alex Kelly, host of the In-House Outliers podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Brightflag, an AI-powered legal operations platform where corporate legal departments gain visibility into operations, maximize productivity, and engage with outside counsel strategically. If you like this episode, then you can find more information in our show notes. If you want to hear more, then you can also find more episodes at brightflag.com forward slash legal hyphen operations hyphen podcast. Thanks again for listening to the In-House Outliers podcast. We'll see you again next time.